across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've reached the end of another confusing, irritating and downright disappointing week, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. Not just because of the dithering from the government, not just because of the inconsistencies or the contradictions uh, in what has been going on these past few days. It was supposed to be Freedom Week, remember? But all we've heard about are vaccine passports, millions of people being pinged and made to self-isolate, masks being demanded by public transport operators, despite the fact that there's no legal requirement to wear one, and travel restrictions continuing for most parts of the world, stopping business, stopping tourism, and preventing hard-working families from enjoying a holiday abroad in the sunshine. Richard Tice, Chairman of Reform UK, joins us first this morning to explain just why Boris Johnson seems to be steering Britain into the escape lane filled with sand. And he's not got a thing or two to say about the other big story of the week as well, which is, of course, illegal migrants arriving in their thousands on our shores. In fact, the only way to come to Britain, quarantine-free. Come on a boat from Calais. 0344 499 1000. Andrew Allison is also here from the Freedom Association with his take on where the country is with the mask madness. No longer a legal requirement, but still being warned by a lot of frightened members of the populace up and down the country. Baroness Hurry is also here with her take on the latest shenanigans in Northern Ireland over the protocol and the EU. She reckons it's time to stop playing nice. And as ever, we need to hear from you. What are you seeing? What are you hearing out there in the big wide world? 400,000 people are apparently heading for their holidays this weekend abroad. So tell us what you're doing. If you're trying to go anywhere, how easy is it going to be? We've also got Claudia Liza coming up to tell us about her big new show on Saturdays here on Talk Radio. And we'll be talking about those ludicrous hate crimes as well. And as if you didn't know, I'll be bringing you proof that I actually work harder than anybody else, particularly millennials. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, the original and the best. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Mr Richard Tice. Welcome back after your um, extended, I wouldn't say break down in Sandwich, but uh, well, it was quite it, a nice it, time. It was, uh, we, had a, we had a great time down in Sandwich. Let's mm. put it down to research. Yes. And, uh, uh, no, the weather was fantastic, as it still is. Yes. Uh, but that's about the only good news, really. I mean, you know, this should have been a joyous week with, with freedom opening week, up. We freedom Week, we But actually, it feels like free lock. Yes. Because there's so much that is still actually... Uh, where we're, we're still under restrictions. Mm. And we've now got uh, a sense of complete chaos. You go to supermarkets and there's all sorts of shelves that have got very little uh, on them because of the continuing pandemic crisis. Yes. The chaos uh, which is going on. You've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of workers in really important mm. industries who are having to self-isolate uh, because uh, they've done the right what they thought was the right thing uh, using the app, but actually they've been double jabbed. They've done everything the government's yeah. asked, and now the government's essentially turned around and says, "Well, it doesn't matter." Yes. Well, it seems to me that the government's now inventing new and unusual ways to stop the economy from recovering. You know, because this pinging business is nonsense. Nobody needs it. it doesn't particularly benefit anyone, particularly the kids who have been uh, been told to yep. stay home from school. I mean, you know, the, the the most of the people who are not going to work have got nothing wrong with them. What really troubles me is that we've, we've heard literally for, for the whole year of the great success of the vaccine rollout. Mm. And on the one hand, yes, but if you've got a success story, then let's use it, let's benefit from it. They've turned the vaccine success into an economic chaos mm. where you've got, you've got stores closing, you've got deliveries not being able to be uh, carried out, right. uh, people having to stay at home, and therefore, in a sense, 
everybody's suffering and that's just leading to more angst, yeah. uh, you know, more fury, mm. when actually it's so obvious. And the prime minister himself has seen the lunacy of this policy. He's had COVID. He's been double jabbed. Yeah. He gets pinged. He didn't want to isolate because he understood and it was he madness. Shouldn't have. He and have. Sh- of and course he shouldn't have. His first instinct was right, wasn't it? But rather than have the courage to stand up and say, right, I get it, folks. This doesn't make any sense. I'm the boss. I'm going to change the rules for everybody. Yeah. Um, somehow he thought he could change the rules just for himself and put he and Rishi into yeah. uh, a, 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 a into sort a special of... bubble. To a special decide. pilot scheme that was designed for cabinet ministers only. Then he realised that that wasn't sustainable. He should have had the courage and the gumption to say, right, Let's change it for the whole country and let's have a sensible policy where, yes, if you've still got the app, and frankly, I can't understand why anybody uh, would still have the app given the ongoing chaos. But if you've still got the app and you get pinged, get a test. And if you are Mm. clear, then just carry on as normal. Well, this is is one of the things I find staggering. I mean, listening to some uh, business people talking on the news, complaining about losing 10 to 15 employees in quite a small business. Well, just tell them to get rid of it. You know, what are you thinking? Why yeah. would you be going, oh, look, they all have to self-isolate? Well, I, th- I, think, I think the difficulty for business leaders is that they are terrified of putting their head above the parapet and being criticised. Mm. You know, and, and that's the challenge for business leaders. That It's much easier. Just keep your head down. Uh, think you're doing the right thing. Um, but the consequences, uh, you know, is really, really significant mm. for businesses, small, medium and large. And, you know, I massively sympathise with them. Uh, but but I, I just can't understand, frankly, now why anybody would have the right. app. It's because chaotic. Because it, it was never compulsory to have the app. It was a recommended thing that people should do. They even said a couple of weeks ago it wasn't actually compulsory to yep. self-isolate. And then they suddenly changed it back to, oh, no, it is compulsory. Nobody seems to know. I mean, the idea that Boris Johnson can't actually make a decision and stick to it staggers me. And when Nadim Sohawi said the other day, you know, oh, we don't... Well, actually, it wasn't him. No, it was Kwasi Kwarteng who said, oh, we don't want to change government policy because we don't want to just keep changing policy. I mean, it's all they've done for a year. It's as though, actually, having got very close to Freedom Day, they've suddenly thought, oh, actually, we still want to be able to have some form of restrictions just in order to keep, you know, us, the proletariat, the plebs... Uh, you know, in some form of uh, control, under some form of control, uh, so that we should continue to feel grateful when the government just gradually, slowly ekes out yeah. some form of freedom because, that we previously had. Do you think it's because they're worried that there will be some kind of COVID backlash, there will be some kind of wave which will but, prove to be more dangerous than we think? Look, we've all seen the case numbers go up, mm. but it, what the government should be doing is telling us what's the average age of those case numbers? Because anecdotally, I believe it's very much amongst school children, which is why you've got you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. of school children uh, who've had to stay at home, um, and amongst young people leaving university. Mm. So if the average age is low, actually the reality is, and you know, I've spoken to many doctors about this, it's better for young people mm. who don't suffer from the virus, who are healthy, better they get some natural antibodies from COVID mm. um, than fill them with manufactured antibodies, right. which of course is the threat if they if, mm. they if they decide they want to try and vaccinate children, which is another whole battleground. So, you know, which I think... was the one, I suppose, bright spark of, of the day of Monday, when at least they announced that that wasn't going to happen. But you don't get the sense that that's necessarily a promise forever, do you? Uh, definitely not, given the number of U-turns that we've seen mm. uh, here, there and everywhere and everything. I think that is, uh, you know, let's just watch this space. But, I, I you know, I, I really do worry about the, the ongoing chaos. And it's just, you know, we've got this success. We've now got to go for it. And we've got to give people some confidence, mm. some self-belief. And I, it, it's great in some sense to see masks disappearing. But there's still lots of people walking down the street, 
particularly young people, mm. wearing a mask. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, why are you doing that? What level of fear and anxiety has this government uh, essentially imposed uh, upon its population? And it will take quite a long time yeah. for that I mean, listen, uh, I, I, think, I think I understand if older people are wearing them because they might wish to protect themselves in, in one way, shape or form. I think if you see younger people wearing them, it's a kind of uniform now. They're going, you know, I'm in London, uh, I'm a nice person, and I'm probably a Remainer, uh, so if you don't want to talk to me, that'll be just fine. I think that's the sign. Maybe it is, but I, I just I just can't understand it. No. Because it's not natural, and I think that what the country now needs is some real leadership mm. that, that, that restores some confidence, both in, 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 in businesses, in getting the economy going, but also in people's mental health. Just actually, you know, we, we've got to move forwards. We've got to get out. And the thing about leadership is it's about explaining to people the context of where the virus is. Yes, cases are going up, but it's amongst young people. Yeah. Yes, but the vaccine works because, mercifully, very few are dying uh, of this of this virus. The reality is the average age of um, people sadly dying is still in the early 80s. It's around the life expectancy. If you set that context and remind people that it's just a fraction of the number of people who sadly die of cancer every mm. day, then then I think that, that, that actually would give some heart uh, and some encouragement to people uh, to move forward with our lives. And it's, you know, it's, I, I think we really are as a nation, uh, we're being held back from our great potential by weak, feeble, mm. U-turning leadership. Yeah, which seems obsessed with one thing and one thing only, which is getting everybody vaccinated. And we never started out on this journey uh, by saying that. You know, it was going to vaccinate the vulnerable, and then we vaccinate the over 60s, then it was maybe the over 50s, and now it's everybody. But they won't actually sell it like that. They'll try and make out that if you don't get vaccinated, there will be things you won't be able to do. And what I heard from a government minister last night is uh, they're now focusing very much on the booster programme, and that is literally just round the corner. But there's been no discussion mm. as, that I've seen uh, or scientific data about the durability of, of the, you know, the double-dosing vaccine. Mm. So we all, we all understood that uh, there might need to be uh, a top-up if, if, if you take the vaccine, if you want it. Um, but it seems to me... Why, though? Well, it, it seems to me they're, they're sort of rushing into that. And then you worry, well, where, where's the resources mm. to do that? Should that be the NHS doing that or should that, should that be a whole different department? Because the NHS has got a lot of other things to do. Yeah. It's got you know millions and millions and millions of people waiting diagnostics, waiting treatment, waiting surgery. That's what the NHS mm. uh, has rapidly got to move forward to. Yeah, absolutely right. And the way that um, other countries in Europe seem to be moving in this direction as well is, is quite worrying. I was saying to Julia, I don't understand, for example, if you go to Italy and they say you must have a double vaccine before you can go into a restaurant... How do they know that you've got one from another country? Or if you come from another country, does that mean you can't go into a restaurant? What's going on? It, it, it is extraordinary. And yeah, I think we're just, it's going to be like sort of, we're just going to be rolling through this process for months and months and months. And I, I think it just, you know, political leaders around the world have got to give uh, some context and some, uh, some courage to people that we've got to live with this thing. Mm. And look, if you're, if you're uh, of a certain age, if you're vulnerable, if you feel at risk, then, you know, take the vaccine. Uh, but equally, let's put it in the context of normal life, mm. the normal risks that we take every day when we leave, leave our bedroom and leave our home. Well, it's not a very good advert, is it, for Sajid Javid to say, get your, both, get your vaccines here, both vaccines, you'll be much better off, and then he gets COVID anyway. <laughs> it's kind of like, what? How did well, that happen? And, and so it, it, that brings us on to the issue about vaccine passports, yeah. which clearly uh, the government having... 
again, said a few weeks ago, we're not going to use them domestically. All of a sudden, uh, it's announced to everyone's complete shock and mm. horror this week that vaccine passports are going to be needed uh, for nightclubs. That was Monday's story. Right. And now we're hearing just a few ladies later, well, it might be cinemas, it might be large right. gatherings. What's a large gathering? Is that a wedding? Well, uh, again, is... it's very vague, isn't it? They don't really make make it clear whether it includes football matches, whether it includes sporting events, indoors or outdoors. I mean, who knows? Mu- music festivals. And then the idea that you might have to show a vaccine passport in order to go uh, and celebrate whatever religion you're in, mm. uh, whether you go to uh, a church or a mosque or whatever, it just seems utterly extraordinary yeah. you want to go and celebrate and sing no you can't come in well, because I mean, you haven't you, got your passport i mean the church of england are already in a pretty weird place and if you saw that story from pool where they've sacked a vicar uh, who had the temerity to put some bibles on the uh, on the pews before a service and actually then was seen hugging somebody uh, uh, hugging a mourner at a funeral I, I, it's I, been I, sacked well, and you go okay then that's well, fine. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm sure lots of other people will offer him a job because uh, it sounds like he's got a dose of common sense. He really the Church does. of England uh, clearly you know, doesn't. Church have. of England currently now banning the Bible. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, that's you, where we are. You couldn't make it up. <laughs> um, Let me just take a short break. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Baroness Hoey coming up at 11 o'clock. She'll be here to talk about the Northern Ireland Protocol, of course. Richard Tice is here with me right now. Richard, we should talk about the biggest story of the week, really, uh, which is, of course, the landings taking place currently on the southeast um, uh, corner of this country, which have, um, have now reached sort of epic proportions, haven't they? Uh, they have because the weather's good and it was completely predictable. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to the situation now. We're halfway through the year. And the numbers of illegal migrants that have, have, have now landed uh, on the south coast is more than the whole of last mm. year. And we've still got what will be the busiest uh, two we've and a half, three months. We've certainly got at least two, three months yeah, of, absolutely, of, of all, uh, right? ahead of us. Mm. And it, it's quite clear. This is a huge, huge uh, cross-Europe industry. Um, uh, the Mail did a, a, a really good expose yesterday of just how sophisticated uh, this is. Mm. And you know it's a it's a one to two million pound a day yeah. industry. Oh, it's a massive, very very sophisticated. Isn't it? But but we've got this very strange situation now where uh, the Home Secretary has decided it's a good idea. The more people that land in the UK, the more money we'll pay the French yes. to try and stop them. So right. what the French are thinking? Well, we might as well just send some more over yeah. because the Brits will pay us even more money. Even I mean, more. It's, it's it's utter lunacy. Mm. And you're now seeing uh, the boats themselves are literally being made to measure. They're making longer boats yeah. uh, in order to With accommodate... 40, 50 people on that, right? At least. Yeah. Uh, and they're essentially sort of, you know, single-use boats. Mm. Uh, they just about make it across uh, the 20-odd-mile strip, mm. uh, and then they're done. And um, so, no, this is... I think it's incredibly serious. Uh, you know, some people are forecasting... It won't be 20,000 this year. It'll be nearer 30,000. It could well be. Because I always make the argument as well, I know that part of the world as you do quite well, there's lots of places where boats land and nobody sees them. Yes. You know, they just literally land on a beach, they get out of the boat and they walk into the town. Yeah. And oh. I get reports like this from Dungeness uh, and from down at Pet Level and all those parts of the southeast coast of Sussex and the, and the sort of the, the south coast of Kent as well. Because people are watching it happening yeah. and telling us. And, and, and there was some footage uh, this week also that showed the uh, you know people here in the UK who are actively involved uh, in, in promoting this yeah. trade, who, who are rushing down... Mm getting the boats, telling people where to go. So, you know, this is uh, the amount of money uh, that is involved in this. Mm. And and lots of people 
are earning an absolute fortune out of it. We, the taxpayer, are bearing the brunt yeah. uh, because we're paying for it. And I think it, it's the, the impact uh, on Border Force, on the, the RNLI, uh, you know, who've, who've got plenty of uh, you know other issues to do, plenty of other things uh, and, and people to be to be saving uh, out at sea. They're being completely mm. distracted along the whole of the south coast. No, I think this is a... It's, it's a massive crisis. It, 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 it is actually a massive crisis. Yeah. And it, it, it's not beyond the wit of man uh, to solve this. You know, I've checked and rechecked. Actually, legally, the existing laws exist mm. uh, for us to say, actually, you know, um, we can take them back to France. Yeah. And we should be saying to the French, uh, we're going to bring in some boats and we're going to put them on tow and we're going to take them back to Calais, yeah. take them back to Dunkirk. Just commandeer a ferry. Put them all well, on a ferry. And, and, you know, that, that is the reality. Yeah. Uh, but it requires political will, mm. political courage. Yeah. It requires strong leadership at the border force and the right level of resources. Because mm. uh, this bill they introduced, Chris Philp was talking to us here about it this week and Priti Patel was doing it, of course, in front of that committee. But they've, they, they're calling to Chris Philp. They've charged and prosecuted 65 people already. And I said, well, where are they? Oh, well, they're all in prison. And I'm like, well, what are they doing in prison here? They shouldn't be in prison here. That costs us money as well. And her new plan is to arrest even more people. But the fact is, I've been saying this for a long time, it's like the drugs business. They're now smuggling people instead of drugs. There's actually yeah. more money in it. Correct. I mean, and, and, and they're now making millions, as you say, every single day. They're hardly going to be put off at the prospect of being arrested, no, are they? For sure. And, uh, you know, we, we let's follow the shining example that successfully worked for Australia, mm. where they made it very clear nobody would be allowed to land on these shores. That is the only yeah. way that you will stop this nonsense happening. Mm. And, you know, it, let's, let's not, you know, it is incredibly dangerous. These people smugglers yeah. are making millions whilst, uh, you know, putting these individuals in harm's way across the busiest shipping lane, I think, in the world. Yeah. You know, it is seriously dangerous. We've no idea how many people are sadly dying no. en route. Um, but you've got to make it very clear that the people will be spotted and stopped on the French beaches and taken mm. straight back. Um, and, and, you know, you can have a joint operation I mean, it can't uh, with be that deten difficult. detention centres in France. Yeah. And serious crimes. I mean, look, these people, smugglers, frankly, lock them up and throw the key away. Yeah. I think most people would agree that's the right be, thing to do. It can't be that difficult to work out where most of the embarkation points are, because I know that Normandy coast is very, very long and difficult to police, but it, but most of them are going to be in one spot. You know that, right? Yeah, there's a there's give or take, 20 or 30 miles either side of Calais, which yeah. is basically where they're, they're coming from. And it, it's not. I mean, you know, if you and I and a few others uh, were in charge, frankly, we would know how to uh, make sure... Uh, that we, we we caught them and mm. stopped them yeah. within a mile of leaving the shore. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it, the technology is there. It requires uh, it requires the the, the management, uh, you know, the, the the confidence, the leadership, uh, in order to uh, you know to, to stop this. But mm. that just doesn't seem to be there. And this will just continue because there's so much money involved. Yeah. It really uh, is. Quite and a and at the moment, affairs. look, Pretty Patel, um, you know, she's great at talking. But, you know, actually, I think people in this country, they want to see action and deeds, not waffle and words. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right. Richard Tice, thank you very much indeed. Good to see you. We'll see you next see week. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, which of course is now available on your television as well. Download the Talk Radio TV app or go to talkradio.tv for details on how to watch. Now, uh, just been talking there to Richard Tice about a great many things, including uh, what is going on with the mask wearing problem, because of course I spoke to Chris Philp earlier in the week and asked him to try, if he could, to point out what the legal position is if you happen to be on public transport in this country, uh, where people like TfL Transport for London and also uh, in Birmingham and in Manchester and other places as well, uh, they're asking for you to wear a mask, uh, despite the fact that according to Boris Johnson, it is no longer a legal requirement. Let's talk now to Andrew Allison, Head of Campaigns at the Freedom Association, because there seems to be quite a bit of confusion out there as to what you do. I've noticed in many supermarkets that you have a sign now which says, please wear a mask if you can, or please feel free to wear a mask if you want. Andrew, very good morning to you. What are you uh, What are you finding out there? Good morning, Mike. Um, well, I noticed at the beginning of the week when I went into local supermarkets, I, I was in this distinct minority. I think on Monday morning at one supermarket, there was about three of us not wearing a mask. Mm. Uh, and that seemed to go on on Tuesday. But I've been in London for a couple of days, and certainly I reckon a good 25 30%, maybe up to a third of people are not wearing a mask mm. On, on the underground. Um, I didn't. I was never challenged. Nobody else was was, was challenged that I could see. Uh, Sadiq Khan has also said that people should be wearing masks in, in taxis and, mm. uh, and Ubers. I was in a black cab on uh, late on Wednesday evening and I wasn't asked to wear a mask and I don't even think the driver was yeah. wearing one, to be honest. But when I got back home yesterday, I went to a supermarket and it was a complete reversal, Mike. Uh, I reckon there were about 20% of people there wearing a mask. A good 80% of people were not wearing masks at all. Really? So you think it's uh, it's it's less likely now to be the case that people are wearing them because of time? Because I I believe that yeah. the time lapse will mean that, you know, as we get through the various next couple of weeks. But then you hear stories from America, uh, for example, this morning, where they're saying, oh, we might have to go back to wearing masks because we've got a bit of an upturn in, uh, in infections. Mm. But, I mean, that is the problem. People are confused, I think, about whether or not there's any point in wearing one. Well, I don't think there really is much of a point in wearing one, uh, I mean, especially after the news at the weekend that the, the masks that we tend to wear uh, are ones that have, do have quite a lot of holes in them. Or we can't see them. Yes. The naked eye can't see these things. But the aerosols uh, uh, for COVID um, are, are, are so much smaller than the uh, than the gaps in the masks. And I, I think the analogy was that you could take marbles and throw them at scaffolding. You know, occasionally the old marble would hit a <laughs> hit a pole, but generally all the marbles would go through. Yes. And that's what it appears to be like with masks. But then, of course, there's these visors, mm. which I really cannot see the point of because they just don't do anything mm. um, when people put the visors on. Um, I mean, certainly the message in the supermarkets are, are, at the beginning of the week were, please be responsible, protect colleagues and protect the shoppers but you know not everyone who worked in a supermarket was wearing a mask and you know when i went down the train to london and i didn't have a mask on i mean yeah, i was there were very few people in the carriage anyway but the lady who was serving the uh, sort of teas and coffees she wasn't wearing a mask mm. either so so um it's it's not a legal requirement uh sadiq khan has tried to make it as a, a condition of carriage in london but you can see that people are not really paying a lot of attention no. to that either. Well, listen, before, before Freedom Day, as it's been rather laughably named, uh, was happening, mm. I was travelling on the tube the week before, and there were plenty of people not wearing masks even then, never mind when you were now not never legally required to do so. Yeah, but it's also been so hot, hasn't it? Uh, I, mean, I mean, one journey that I did, I think on Wednesday, 
there was a lady sitting opposite me and she looked like she, she was ready to faint. Mm. She was wearing a mask. Now, it might be because she thought wearing a mask was the right thing, or it might be that she thought, well, Sadiq Khan has told me that I must wear a mask and I could get into trouble for not wearing mm. one. But, you know, she, she she looked like she was ready to pass out and she wasn't the only one. Right. I mean, you know how hot it gets on the tube in London. Oh, totally, yeah, uh, I do. Oh, that's it, why it, I don't it, go it, on it at this time of the year. Yeah, it, it's just unbelievably stuffy. I mean, I mean, you you sort of get into a carriage and you just find yourself sweating in your yeah. sort of through the sweat within about two minutes. It's it, it's pretty awful. So um, so no, it's it's not being enforced. That's that that is just my experience on various various uh, tube lines, mm. being in the back of a taxi, being on various trains. Uh, yes, you've been encouraged to do it. Yes, there are these messages that constantly keep coming through that seem to be longer than the previous ones. Uh, trying to encourage you to wear one, but no one is enforcing it. Well, that's the thing. But there is this rather strange um, sort of method and message which is going out to certain parts of the population that, you know, you wear one in order to show how kind you are and how much you care about your fellow human being. You know, again, none of which has any scientific evidence whatsoever, but it's simply a kind of virtue signalling manoeuvre to try and make out that, you know, oh, listen, I'm wearing a mask because that must make me a nice person. Well, the best thing to do is just to try to keep your distance as much as you possibly can, and and, and that's the safest thing that you can do if you if you want to uh, avoid the virus. Um, mask wearing—it's always been controversial. We were told a year ago, well, over a year ago, that we shouldn't be wearing masks; mm. that uh, that they didn't have that benefit. Then then they changed their minds. Um, they thought that COVID was um, transmissible through droplets. Now we know it's transmissible through aerosols. Mm. Um, and it makes mask wearing a, a, a complete waste of time, unless you have a, a proper surgical mask, the stuff that they would wear in a theatre in hospital. Or as I think uh, Peter Hitchens said on your show at the beginning of the week, if you want to go out in a full hazmat suit, then, then yes, well, you'd be, be completely you know, safe. Be, be my guest, but actually, perversely, you might not be completely safe because you might be damaging your immune system to such an extent that you wouldn't be immune to anything. But, you know, here's the thing. When uh, you sort of look around and you see that the, um, uh, the, the biggest infection rate probably was in January of this year, when everyone was told to wear a mask, mm -hmm. you kind of go... Hmm. I mean, my view has always been that the virus pretty much does what the virus does, whether or not you're wearing a mask, whether or not you're socially distancing, it just spreads. Mm. Yeah, no, very, very much so. That's exactly what it does do. I mean, I said people saying lockdowns work. Well, I suppose if you had the most draconian lockdown imaginable, where you only allow people out of their doors at certain times to go to set supermarkets to buy set essentials, um, and you kept that going, then I suppose eventually you'd suppress a virus. But, and this is the big but, as soon as you allow people to have freedom again, the virus would still be there lurking somewhere and then you would start getting infections again because that's what viruses do. Right. And also, it's a bit hypocritical, really, for the government to even call any of the lockdowns that we had proper lockdowns because the airports were always open and there were hundreds mm. of thousands of people flying in to this country every single month from all over the world. Yeah, there's always been exemptions, hasn't there? And of course, there was big exemptions for UEFA. Uh, for the uh, for the European Championship final, yep. there seemed to be big exemptions for the G7 summit down in Cornwall. Well, they all stood uh, a few meters apart, didn't they, for the official photographs, mm. and then start hugging each mm. other. And Emmanuel Macron putting his arm around Joe Biden. Uh, I think we knew that was a, a a load of nonsense. Yes, it was quite it's, uh, quite sick making to see as well. Finally, Andrew, what's your take on the pandemic scenario? We're told that today uh, there will be moves made to try and make it possible for certain companies, warehouses in particular, uh, to not have to tell their employees to self isolate because it's a it's a it's an epidemic of madness. This, which is keeping people away from their jobs. It most certainly is. Uh, I mean, I have got rid of the the app completely now. 
uh, and I will, you know, I will never download it again. I did have the test and trace bit switched off anyway because mm. there's no way we're going to be pinged left, right, and centre. I don't. I, honestly, I don't. I, I struggle to wonder about who, who all these people are that have allowed themselves to be pinged and who are now not able to go to work. It's madness. Yeah, well, I know people you know working in healthcare um, uh, settings. They've switched their Apple for the, for this reason. Mm. You know, they, they, they'll, they'll just be pinged continuously. So, but my understanding also is that supermarket workers, the people who actually stack the shelves, are not going to be included in this. So you mm. may be able to get all the goods to the supermarket, but no one to actually put them out on the shelves. And finally, if I just may say this, uh, echoing uh, other guests that have been on this radio station this morning. I've applied for a media pass for the Conservative Party conference, but if showing proof that I've been double vaccinated, which I have, is, is part of the deal, then just like my good friend Chris Green who was on earlier, I will be saying no and I will refuse to attend. Nine danke. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Allison, head of campaigns at the Freedom Association, saying, Mike, uh, Julie Hartley Brewer also, I believe, said this morning uh, she will not be going to any Tory party conference that requires a vaccine passport in order to get in. And I think that's absolutely right. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Not just Talk Radio, now Talk Radio TV, by the way. We've reached the end of yet another confusing, irritating and downright disappointing week, I'd have to say. Not just because of the dithering from the government, not just because of the incomprehensible inconsistency uh, and the contradictions of what's been going on these past few days. I mean, after all, it was supposed to be Freedom Week, but all we've heard about are vaccine passports, how you might have to be vaccinated to get into a nightclub. We've heard about millions of people being pinged and made to self-isolate. We've been warned that there might not be uh, food supplies getting through uh, to various supermarkets. They've now decided to make it possible for people who work uh, for the supply chain for supermarkets to not have to be self-isolating just because they've been in contact, supposedly, with someone who's had a positive COVID test. Uh, We've got mask wearing still being um, insisted upon by some public transportation operators, despite the fact that Boris Johnson said that it's no longer a legal requirements and wear a mask. We've got travel restrictions all over the place. Or even though we've got 400,000 people leaving the country this weekend, apparently, going on holiday. But you can't come here on a holiday still. There's not many tourists knocking about in London or any other part of the world. We've also got the Northern Ireland Protocol back on the front pages because we're going to talk to Baroness Hoey uh, of Lyle Hill and Rathlin, of course, about what is going on. Lord Frost basically saying, you know, we can't extend anything. We can't get anywhere. We need to find a new way forward. Uh, I think Baroness Hoey's going to tell us it's time to stop being nice to the EU. 0344 Of course, we were talking about the illegal migrant problem as well. Uh, she may have something to say about that we will be also talking to claudia liza talk radio presenter for saturdays she's going to be doing a show from five to seven she's been doing it already but it's a new show uh, we thought we could find out more about what it's all about there's a big music festival going on at latitude harry kane's going to manchester city there's all kinds of things going on and we will bring it all to you the olympic opening ceremony of course is also happening but we probably won't be bringing you that uh, because one nobody's watching it there's no audience and no crowd whatsoever in japan and also they're a bit funny about what you call it and rights and all that kind of thing. They probably charged about three million quid to show the opening of something in front of nobody. Mm, probably not for us. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station, now on television on the planet. It is, of course, the home of common sense, the original and the best. It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
You can, of course, watch us on Talk Radio TV uh, right now. You can also watch us on YouTube. Let us say a very good morning to Baroness Kate Hoey of Lyle Hill and Ratham. Kate, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm fine. It's very hot here. We're going to have another, uh, I think, another day of... Uh records so yes. that's uh, interesting i mean it's one thing i suppose that we can be happy about the fact that despite the fact that we can't go and lie around a swimming pool anywhere <laughs> in, in foreign parts we could if you could find a swimming pool somewhere here uh, it's a really really nice thing to do yes i know it's been a, it's been a very hot week i was in london in the lords it's a very busy week in the lords just because it's the last we've we've now lifted until september the 6th right that's, it's a nice lords sort of long commons. it's a nice long holiday i mean what did lords do <laughs> well, because of course MPs will, <laughs> MPs will tell us that they have constituency matters to deal with. But what are you guys well, doing? I, well, I think, I think that's true. And I mean, for 30 years, you had to put up that I was an MP with people telling you, oh, yes, you're now going off for six weeks holiday. And right. of course, we didn't as MPs. But um, I mean, Lords, there are still sort of lots of business going on in terms of the odd meeting of committees and so on. But mostly, I think, Lords, because many of them are working as well, they're doing other things, um, they'll just sort of reprioritize, I suppose, over the next six weeks. I'm certainly going to have a bit of a rest and basically you know it's nice not to have to travel mm. it's nice not to have to go anywhere <laughs> i don't really want to go anywhere I've, i i spend so much time traveling yeah. and i'm quite happy to be um, to be at home that is the thing isn't it that it made it that, that it's been, it's become a sort of drudgery to travel i mean not just by plane but also even by train by car you know everything's a lot more difficult it seems to me and you wonder whether this is part of the program uh, that the government wants you to do they don't really want you to travel abroad so they've made it quite difficult they don't really want you to to, to use public transport so they've made that uh, more made, made the roads busier because of that and the trains are still relatively empty but but also not that easy to use Yes, I mean, I, I'm still surprised that um, how, you know, unbusy, that's sorry, the wrong word, but London was. Yes. Um, I, expect, I expected things to be more or less back to a, a kind of normal in Freedom Week. Mm. But, um, you know, having, having um, been on almost an empty train again and coming in from, from a, um, Heathrow and the tubes weren't packed and, um, you know, people were still wearing masks, which I suppose on the tube on a hot day, is 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 pretty miserable but mm. at the same time if it's very very busy i mean that's the one thing i don't mind wearing a mask on a tube but i don't you know want to be told that if you don't do it you're going to be um sort of sanctioned in no. some way. I think that's nonsense. Yes, I think that really is nonsense. And the whole vaccine passport thing is nonsense, despite the fact that uh, the government yeah. said yesterday they, they reserve the right to mandate it. Well, I don't see how they yeah. can if it doesn't get voted through the House of Commons or the Lords. No, I don't either. And, and I think it's very unclear what is what is advice and what is legal. And, you know, to me, the idea, I mean, I have been double vaccinated and I had no problem with that. But I do accept that some people don't want to have something put into their mm. body that they you know, worry about. And I really don't see why uh, we should have to do that uh, in order to particularly for young people. Mm. It's just nonsense, nonsense. But I think maybe by the September um, time, you know, the government will have probably changed its mind again we've seen a lot of changes of minds haven't we over the past month we really what, have what, what, I mean, but not, i mean i think this I was sorry say, i just uh, think this pinging thing is mm, nonsense isn't it it really is i mean it makes it's almost as though they've invented a new way to screw everything up because you know it was actually mm. going quite well in the sense that and the germans apparently already found out that the pinging uh, business only really works when there's not a high rate of infection. But if there is a high rate of infection, albeit, you know, a relatively harmless high rate, yeah. it, it really just pings everybody. 
Yes, and, and the idea also that you can be, I mean, I was horrified to hear that you could be sitting in a car next to another car at a traffic lights right. and, you know, the person next door in the other car is pinged. I yes. mean, there's no, there's no um, accuracy really in it. So I, mean, I, I, I imagine what a lot of people will be doing quietly is just deleting their app and mm. that's it. Yes. Well, I mean, I went to delete my app, and then I realized, never had one. I realized, I have to say, I realized never, that I, I didn't. I'd it. never had it either. So you know, um, yeah. that's that's the thing. And it was never, and it was never compulsory. So I mean, the other the other no. end of the, uh, the other uh, sort of side of this of the coin, of course, as I was hearing from some people yesterday, is that there are some people who rather like the idea of ten days off. So they're getting deliberately pinged. And one of the methods apparently is that you walk past every um, you know QR code that you see, and you just check into it. And in the hopes that somebody will ping you and you won't have to go to work. And I mean, that's, a, you know, sounds to me like a very British thing to do. Well, yes. And if, and if people are being paid, uh, obviously, you know, and it's nice warm weather and they've got a garden. You can imagine that that's what a lot of people would think of. Yes. Uh, it's not particularly good long term or even medium term for the economy and for getting everything back to, mm. to normal. But, you know, we've 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 just got to start realizing that we're going to have live with this and it's as long as people the hospitals aren't overcrowded and people are not not dying in you know it we just really got to get on with life yes well we really must and you know i actually went to a bar for the first time yesterday because i thought i decided to have a bit of a quiet week people said what are you doing why are you having a quiet week in freedom week but actually i'd been quite busy in previous weeks and i actually yesterday walked up to a bar and ordered a drink and it was a great thing it i mean ridiculously pleasurable thing to do which you wouldn't think would be pleasurable but actually was Yes. No, we, I think, I think also people are getting sort of tired of the whole thing, aren't mm. we? We're just fed up talking about it even, yeah. you know, I, I, and, and there's always something, something slightly new every day, but nothing that's really, really changing the situation that much. No, exactly right. I imagine you're also getting a bit tired of talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol, but I'm afraid I'm going to ask oh, you Oh, no, I'm it. quite... <laughs> No, no, I'm very, I've, it's been a good week. I mean, it has been a good week because Lord Frost finally accepted on behalf of the government what many of us have been saying for a long time, that the protocol is not working yes. and can't really work. And also, what is interesting, he did say, it's very clear, the government now says that Article 16, the criteria to um, actually invoke Article 16 has been met both societally and economically. That's the bit in the protocol that was actually specifically put to try and change things if there were difficulties. They're now saying there are difficulties, but of course, being a nice, reasonable government, uh, they want to give the European Union more opportunity to um, negotiate and talk about changes rather than actually doing what mm. I think probably needs to be done actually right. recognising that the European Union aren't going to really change they've made that very clear very quickly now they might say they want to continue to talk but there'll be nothing radical change that they will make unless they're forced to because no. It's in their interest to keep this going. Of course. This is the same European Union, of course, who triggered Article 16 themselves before realising they didn't really want to and decided to go back against it again. Yes. And, 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 you know, I think if they the fact that they came out so quickly and rejected 
the the very good intentions of Lord Frost saying that we could we could actually invoke this. We're not going to do it. The fact they did that, I think, shows they really, really don't care about the Northern Ireland situation. I mean, after all, this was all supposed to be in the interest of peace and and, and stability in Northern Ireland, helping to keep the Belfast Good Friday Agreement uh, alive and well. And yet, when they've got this opportunity now, they won't they won't do anything about it. And indeed, we've seen. Over the past week, you know, the, the dumping of some six, seven hundred new regulations that are all going to have to be uh, complied with in Northern Ireland. I mean, it is completely unsustainable. And I think the problem now is that the European Union still has not accepted that we are leaving and we, we have left and that we're not going back. Mm. And until they do that, they are not their mindset is to continually try to make things difficult. And I just think the government has to finally say, look, it's not on. We're not going on with this charade, charade, (laughs) however you want to pronounce it. And um, actually say, sorry, it's not working. Mm. We're going to vote Article 16, but we're also going to stop any kind of uh, checks at, at the border anymore. We're going to say to people, just carry on normally. And frankly, it's up to the Irish government then and the EU, if they want to protect their internal market, to Mm. go ahead and try and protect it. Yes. I was also listening to uh, an interview yesterday uh, with one of the members of the Irish Parliament in Dublin. Um, And they're clearly not on the side of the UK on this, are they? They're still kind of working behind the scenes to try and mess it up as much as they possibly can. Well, I think that's been very disappointing, just that, you know, despite us being extremely supportive of the Irish um, when they had economic difficulties, mm. lending them lots of money, doing also, you know, having the, the common travel area. The government itself, not the Irish people, I think, but the government itself and and uh, particularly the, the, the Sinn Féin element within uh, the Republic of Ireland has just been seeing this as a real opportunity to have a go at, at um, Northern Ireland mm. and to punish the, um, you know, the British. And I think it's, it's, if the Irish actually started to work with us, even if it was behind the scenes, to push the European Union, you know, this could all be solved. Mm. The, 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 I think the good thing, if anyone who reads the the actual uh, white paper that's come out, the uh, command paper, you will see that there is really no need for any of this. You know, it, it just isn't necessary. Yeah. No, and which you have said all along, to be fair. And what if, I don't know if you, whether you saw uh, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson uh, spoke to The Times yesterday in his first newspaper interview since being elected to uh, being uh, head of the DUP. He's basically mm-hmm. saying that he will not accept and the DUP will not accept any kind of um, new Brexit deal that they don't fancy uh, at all. Does that have an impact on what Lord Frost does? Well, I mean, I think the it, I, I don't think the government want to see any uh, more problems in Northern Ireland in terms of, you know, social un- unrest mm. and and. Uh, and, and street protests, but those are going to continue. I mean, I think I think the government had a li- has a little bit of time. They've got a bit of it, it, it raised morale a bit, I think, in Northern Ireland amongst pro-union people when Lord Frost did say that it wasn't working and it mm. couldn't continue. I think what we will have a little break now because it's holiday time and there won't be so many protests. But come September. Uh, you know, there is going to be real problems if it looks like the European Union has completely said no to renegotiation and the government then will have to act. Uh, and um, I think the, um, the, you know, the issue of, of for me and for Jeffrey Donaldson and for all pro-union people is we cannot end up with our part of the United Kingdom taking rules and orders 
from a foreign power and a foreign court. And that is the crunch to me. The trade issues are in a sense technical and can be worked through. And they're causing a lot of problems and disruption. We heard that from the head of Marks and Spencer's just yesterday about yeah. problems, uh, all of that. But underlying it all is we should never ever have allowed a part of the United Kingdom to be sort of almost broken away and abandoned mm. to the European Union. I understand why it happened, uh, but it now has to be put right. Yes. And the only way it's going to be put right is to get rid of the protocol. Yes, I think that's right. Baroness Hoey, stay with us for a moment, if you would. We're just going to take a little breather for a while. We've got lots to talk about, by the way, coming up. I'm going to talk about the Omar bombing. There's been a ruling in the Belfast court today about that uh, and about why it should have been prevented. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now, of course, available on Talk Radio TV uh, as well, which is all you've got to do uh, is go and find the app. It's Talk Radio TV on the App Store or talkradio.tv uh, if you can search for it on your uh, television, of course. We're talking to Baroness Kate Hoey uh, of Lyle and Rathlin. And, and Baroness, just something that popped up before you and I started talking. There's been a High Court judge uh, in Belfast who's found there was, in his words, a real prospect, the real IRA attack in Omar in 1990 could have been prevented. This is a case that's been going on for a long time. It was brought by one of the um, uh, relatives of one of those killed campaigners, launched the action in 2013, apparently. He's now calling for an investigation um, across both sides of the border. Um, Mr Justice Mark Horner has recommended that the UK undertake a human rights compliant investigation into the bombing and has urged the Irish government to do likewise. Um, I'm always slightly unsure when these things get said, um, as to what would be the benefit of doing something like that? 
Yes, and these these kind of things slightly worry me at the moment. It's seen seen in the context of everything else that's going on mm. in Northern Ireland, because there has been an attempt uh, uh, which has been quite successful to kind of almost rewrite history and to sort of look back on everything that's happened in the Troubles and bring it to uh, a situation where it's always the state's fault, you know, mm. the, the police's fault, yeah. the army's fault. They all behaved dreadfully and all these wonderful terrorists kind of went around being nice to people. Yeah. And and uh, so, I, you know, I, I obviously the judge has made it, I don't know what the evidence he's seen to make that decision, but... Um, you know, I think that we've got so many of these kinds of concerns um, and uh, calls for, you know, inquiries and investigations. And very rarely do they actually get anywhere. Yeah. Um, because, of course, the, the truth is that a lot of the people who were involved in many of the worst atrocities, and Oma, of course, was one of those dreadful, dreadful atrocities um, and, and things like the Enniskillen bombing on, on Remembrance Sunday. Uh, many of the people involved were actually given, you know, get out of free cards and given mm. pardons, royal pardons. The leadership of some of them were given royal pardons. And so there's this sort of almost unbalanced attitude now to what happened um that the only people who kind of kept records were the, obviously the security forces mm. so they're the only people that are being kind of investigated by this kind of lawfare which we call it now yes. of, of lawyers spending lots of money getting legal aid lots of people to go into kind of uh, details of what happened which we're never going to get the perpetrators. I mean, the people who are responsible for the Oma bombing are not the people who now the, the judge is saying, I don't know, didn't get a warning right. The people mm. who did it were the people who planted the bomb. Yes. And we seem to forget that, you know, and it kind of, it, it, it's beginning to worry me a lot that we're looking at this from the wrong angle, so many of the things that happened. Yes, I think that's right. And, and, and also, when you think of the younger people now who are living in, in Northern Ireland, many of them were not even born when this happened. Many of mm. them, certainly, if they were born, maybe they were under the age of five or something like that. And I'm always, I'm always a bit unsure of the, of, the, of the provenance of doing anything like this in retrospect this far back, because nothing really is, 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 is managed to, to be improved by it. If anything, it's, it's made worse, isn't it? Well, I think, you know, the, obviously this comes in the week that the government announced that they were looking to have a statute of limitations so that no one could be prosecuted anymore, that they yeah. would stop investigating. Now, that did upset a lot of families who genuinely feel, even if they know deep down that they're never going to get the person who did, their, who killed their relative or mm. who bombed and killed someone. Um, and even if they did now under the, that legislation, they probably wouldn't serve more than two years anyway. Yeah. Um, th th they still don't want just a sort of blanket sh shutting down of everything. You know, they don't want an amnesty. But I think there is a problem that the, the only people who are really gaining anything out of all of this legal stuff are lawyers who are mm. making a huge fortune. And, um, of course, the, you know, the politics behind it uh, is usually being whipped up by certain elements within the terrorist, former terrorist groups. Yes. Final word, um, Baroness, on the Olympics, because the opening ceremony is oh. about half an hour away. Um, I'm going to yeah. ignore it, I think, because you were very much a part of the of the London yeah. 20, the London 2012 Olympics, which was a magnificent event, you know, brilliantly sort of stage managed by by us as a country. 
And it's a, it's a shame that it's become this kind of parody of itself now, isn't it? Yes. I, I, I mean, it's, it's almost ridiculous that someone like myself as an ex-sports minister. I was actually quite surprised this morning when I heard, oh, you know, tonight was the opening ceremony. Yeah. I hadn't... Whereas in the past, you would have been thinking about it. You'd have known all about all mm. who our athletes are. There's been nothing in about that. And I, th- I feel very, very sorry for the athletes, of course. But I think the International Olympic Committee has, has handled this so badly. Mm. And all they're really interested in, and I'll probably upset a few people, is, is money. Yeah. You know, they want it to go on because they, uh, they want to still get the, the finance. But I, I, I can't see it being one of those Olympics that we're going to remember for special records or anything like that because so many people have been ruled out and haven't been able to get there and the whole thing is going to be a bit of a farce yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid you're absolutely right Baroness Howie, as ever, great to talk to you, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Kate Howie there uh, former Labour MP of course for uh, a, a South London constituency, always been um, a great supporter of Brexit and one of the few people in the Labour Party who seemed to know precisely from the beginning uh, what it was that she wanted to do uh, took a lot of flack for it as well by the way but nevertheless uh, has still stuck to her guns and right now in Northern Ireland they need more people like Kate Howie uh, who are willing uh, to take that view and to say to the EU. Sorry, guys, you know, we're not interested in negotiating anymore. You've proven yourselves to be operating from a position of weakness and a position of selfishness and a position of, quite frankly, being difficult rather than being helpful. So thanks, but no thanks. We'll just leave with no deal as far as Northern Ireland is concerned. And that will work fine and dandy. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Now also available on TV, of course. All you've got to do is go and look for the app at Talk Radio TV and you can find us and watch us. Uh, we have reached the end of yet another week. It hasn't been a great week. It hasn't been Freedom Week, has it? It's been very confusing for an awful lot of people. Many people not at work because they've been told to stay home and self-isolate because they've been pinged by an NHS app which is clearly not fit for purpose. Somebody sent me a tweet earlier saying anyone who's self-employed doesn't have the app because they can't afford not to work. The people who are having it uh, mostly and living it large, as some would say, uh, are those who get paid whether they go to work or not. Because let's face it, the weather's rather nice. When the weather's not so good, you don't mind going to work. But we're told all sorts of tales that people are getting themselves deliberately pinged in order to get some time off because they don't fancy it. Well, that's not good enough. That's not the way the economy is going to get back to work. And already the government have admitted that they're going to have to bring in some exemptions in order to keep the the food chain supply working properly. Well, quite right, too. They should do away with it altogether. It doesn't make any sense in the same way that it doesn't make any sense to test loads of people for COVID who haven't got any symptoms. That doesn't make any sense either. Look at what's happened. The country is now a basket case. We can't actually go anywhere because most countries of the world think that Britain is riddled uh, with COVID. They think everybody's got it. They think people are dropping dead in the streets. Well, they're not. The numbers are very, very low indeed. People are talking about uh, maybe going back to wearing masks in certain countries of Europe, possibly in America. Why? The Italians are talking about vaccine passports for going to a cafe. Why? What's wrong with them? Surely the whole point of freedom is that you choose what you do. 
you don't get told what to do by the government. Coming up uh, in this hour, uh, we're going to be talking to all sorts of people, including Simon Corner, travel editor of The Independent, because apparently 400,000 people are leaving these shores this weekend to go to foreign climes. I'm not quite sure how they're managing that. We'll find out from him how that's working. Harry Miller joins us as well, former police officer. He's sick to the back teeth of this obsession with non-crime hate crime. If it's not a crime, why is it being registered as a non-crime crime? I don't understand it. He's going to try and tell us about what that's all about. Also, the fact that the police have now said they've lost faith in Pretty Patel. Where well, they're not the only ones, as we've found out from a lot of you uh, who want to know why the migrant crisis has not yet been solved. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Now, of course, available on TV. It's the original. It's the best. It is. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, speak to Harry Miller, former police officer, co-founder of the Fair Cop Group, uh, which combats police interference in free speech. He wrote a very good piece in the Mail earlier this week, and we wanted to get him on uh, to discuss it. Harry, very good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, Mike. Thank the you. Madness, the madness continues. Well, it does. I mean, literally everywhere you look, you know, from the shores of the southeast of England to, you know, the northern towns where you can't say anything or do anything. You can't even whistle Bob the Builder, apparently, without being reported. You know, <laughs> the whole point of, of surely crime is that it's very clear what a crime is. If you start, yeah, 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 regist- yeah, yeah, yeah. If you start registering non-crimes as crimes, where do you go? We, 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 in Britain, we have a very simple de- definition of crime. It's a guilty mind plus a guilty action minus a defence. But, of course, non-crime hate incidents don't need to meet any form of standard whatsoever. All it takes is somebody to perceive. So if somebody perceives that whistling Bob the Builder is an act of racial Mm. hatred, boom, the police can notch up another hate, non-crime hate incident. If If somebody sees a Union Jack in the back of the mini, as reportedly happened this week, then somebody can perceive that as racial hatred and the police are mandated to record it as a racial hate instance. And if once you're on the system, that will appear on an enhanced DBS check for six years and it will interfere with your ability to get a job in yeah. certain industries. And this so, is and- an absolute, cr- this is the crime. This is the crime. Yes. And, and of course, you may not even know that it's happened until you go and find out. A bit like, you know, sometimes you, when you go and uh, try and buy a house, you find out that some maniac put a CCJ on you without your knowledge and you have to get rid of it. No, that's exactly. That's exactly. I just finished reading Anna Fowler's fantastic book, Stasiland. And it, honestly, it could be about Britainland. It could mm. be called Britainland right now because we have a we have a secret police force. Um, called the National LGBT Police Network. Yeah. And they will go on Twitter and they will say things like, we see you, we have reported you. But when you then try and find out who's being seen and for what, yeah. and who, you know, who's been reported to where, they close ranks and they will not tell you, they will not di- disclose the, um, the column number. Mm. They won't tell you who's been recorded or for what. There's no possibility of finding this out because all the police forces close ranks and say, nothing to do with us, Gulf. Really? They are, they, are, they are operating as a cartel. And it's my intention as fair cop to absolutely bring them down mm. because we don't want a secret police force in Britain recording these evil, non-crime hate incidents. There is a pandemic of hate, but it's entirely in the imagination of the College of Policing mm. because they are interpreting 
everything as hate and then saying, see, look how much hate there is, look how much hate there is. And they're then using that as the, as the tool to bring in more draconian measures and criminalisers. That's the problem. And so, therefore, these are individual police officers then who are operating within this secondary network, if you like. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a secondary network. Um, it's headed up by the uh, Chief Superintendent, Superintendent of the City of London Police, Clinton Blackburn. But I wrote to the City of London Police and said, you know, you need to get your, your Chief Superintendent, T Commander, in order because he's the co-chair of this National Police Network. Um, he needs to put his house in order. And they said, oh, no, when he does that, he's not working for us. He's not our employer. Oh, yeah. He's not our employee, so we're not responsible. Well, I'm sorry, he is. He operates as a Chief Superintendent T commander in uniform saying we are reporting you and we stand for Stonewall and any form of dissent whatsoever we're reporting you for hate but then you try and find out who's been reported for what and they absolutely go into full-on secret policing mm. mode and won't tell you be interesting what would happen Harry if some police senior police officers joined your group to see whether that would be allowed by the police force well, we may, we, we may well have some secret um, police officers who are in our group. We certainly have police officers who give us information, uh, and I would never disclose who they are, because this is the thing. Most police officers are good, honest people, and they are as sick to death of this non-crime hate incident machine, which all it serves to do is protect an ideology. Mm. Because if you can have non-crime hate incidents, it bypasses Parliament, it bypasses the law. It, it bypasses all of the usual checks and balances of a civilised society mm. and serves whatever the political agenda is that they are seeking to serve. So be that um, an agenda that, 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 that complies with Black Lives Matter, Antifa, Extinction Rebellion or, or the trans craziness. If it's part of the approved ideology, then they don't need to go to court they don't need to have Parliament pass anything. They just operate this system of non-crime hate incidents, which enables a certain cult, political culture to be ushered through unchecked. Mm. And is the there any? Is there any? If, if something like this does happen to someone, is there any way of having it removed, having it expunged before the allotted sort of six-year period? Can you say, I don't? Sorry, I don't agree with this. I don't. I don't believe that you know having a union jacket in the back of my car is in fact a racist, uh, reportable crime. What can you do if it happens to you? Well, you, 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 you can raise 100, £150,000 and take the police force to the High Court, as I've done. But, that's, that, but, but the thing is, I've still got a non-crime hate incident against my name, mm. which is why we're at the Court of Appeal, um, taking the College of Policing, uh, and we're waiting for the ruling on that, because the High Court ruled that I did not express any hate whatsoever, and yet also ruled that Humberside were correct to record me for a non-crime hate incident. Well, you can't have it both no. ways. That's, that's double thing. That's double speak. Yeah. It's deeply Orwellian and it's wrong. Yeah. Well, this is what I was saying. I mean, you have one definition of crime, which you very succinctly gave us. You can't suddenly then have another definition of something which is not a crime. However, it is in some ways punishable by some kind of sanction because then you'll just make it up as you go along. I mean, it's a bit like this government proposal at the moment, um, which Victoria Newton's written about in The Sun today. She's the editor. Uh, this business of, you know, making it illegal for journalists to, quote, embarrass the government uh, because they'll be treated as spies. And the Matt Hancock video, perhaps, would never have been released for fear of somebody being arrested. And the commissioning, um, uh, the, the information commissioner's office is already busy going around raiding people's houses, trying to find out who the whistleblower was. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the way a democracy works. 
No, no. See, there, there, there are two distinct hallmarks of um, a totalitarian state. One is a secret police force, and two is a press which is controlled, governed by the government. And we don't want either. We don't want a secret police force. I'm absolutely against that, and I'm entirely in favour of a free press. And if the free press gets it wrong now and again, so what? Far better that we have mm. a free press that occasionally gets it wrong, and occasionally we have to have a Levinson inquiry or what have you, than criminalise good men and women journalists. Mm. We have got to allow journalists to do their thing and to expose government, police, any form of political power that has an ability to control our lives. We have to call them to account. And we must be able to call them to account without having any fear whatsoever that we are going to be de facto criminalised by these ridiculous Orwellian non-crime hate incidents. Well, exactly right. And, I mean, as far as the way that the, the, the Matt Hancock story came out is concerned, I mean, imagine if that had not come out as a result of the government somehow shutting it down. I mean, we've got enough problems in this country with the trust that people have in government. Imagine what would happen if that Man Han Matt Hancock story hadn't come out. He'd still be there doing it. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Of, of, of course, of course. And that's why we, we need a vigorous free press. We have to have brave journalists and we have to have brave citizens who are prepared to take on these authoritarian powers. Otherwise, quite frankly, we're screwed. Mm. And it rests on brave men and women, brave members of the public standing up and saying enough is enough. We are simply not having it. Mm. And what have you made in the past sort of 24 hours of uh, the Pretty Patel story with the police? She said that apparently any police officer earning over 24,000 will be subject to a pay freeze. Uh, the police have now said, basically, that they no longer have confidence, as the Police Federation of England and Wales, no longer have confidence in the Home Secretary. Well, of course, they want, to, they want to drive out good police officers in the same way that they want to drive out good medics and good nurses. They want to dump down police force who will simply do as they are told mm. um, and who are able to take instructions from a computer uh, who are able to go into the go into the uh, and police police us all without asking any questions what they want is they they want a whole bunch of pc gulls who have been on a course and will simply go out and do their thing and do their political ideology and get rid of all brains they don't want brainy people in the police anymore they don't want intelligent people. They don't want officers who can apply common sense. And we know that for a fact because the Chief Constable of Humberside told me face-to-face, -face, in person, that common sense is not an appropriate tool for a police officer <laughs> because, it, because it leads to unpredictable outcomes. What they, want are, what they want are zombies who will simply follow point-to-point -point guidance. I mean, never has there been a more uh, indictable offence made there by a police, uh, a sort of police commander. That's unbelievable that you would say something like that. I mean, common yeah, no, sense, yeah, yeah, common yeah, sense yeah. Is, is precisely what the police should be operating under. No, that, that, that's, why, that's why the College of Policing are pushing for a graduate-only police service. Because God graduates have been taught how not to think. Yes. That's, why, that's why they're after it. They want, they, want, they want people who tick boxes, who can follow lesson plans and all that kind of stuff. They, the last thing they want is a good old-fashioned Bobby who knows how to think. Yeah, exactly right. And who also knows how to operate in certain... Some of the situations we've seen in the past year or so, Harry, where it's been a sort of a question of uh, operating COVID regulations, you know, where clearly sometimes the police got it right, but sometimes they got it drastically wrong, knocking on people's doors, you know, telling them that they shouldn't have more than six people in there. You know, all this kind of nonsense that the police really shouldn't be doing. 
Well, 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 well again, the, um, um, the inspectorate came out and said that police forces were taking government, um, the government's, Boris's little fireside chit-chats um, on, on an evening as law. They yeah. don't know the difference between guidance and law. Yeah. I had the good fortune of interviewing Matt Jukes, the assistant chief constable of the Met a few weeks ago, um, and he didn't understand the difference between guidance and law. And he's an assistant commissioner. He doesn't know the difference between guidance and law. Mm. Because law, of course, is now secondary to guidance. L law is old hat. Yes. Guidance is everything. And we are we are entering into what Jonathan Sumption calls a a Weberian nightmare mm. where we are ruled entirely by the experts of bureaucracy. Yes. And that cannot be right for a free society. And that's why fair cop are doing what we are doing, and that is pushing back with everything that we've got, and we will keep doing it. And I'll tell you now, I want the College of Policing shut down. I want that place gone, and that we have we have local control again, that police, that the chief constables are answerable to strong PCCs, not weak PCCs, who are just simply in awe of their mm. chief constables, but strong PCCs yes. who are prepared to sack chief constables um, when they do anything other than uphold the law yes. and serve the community. Well, isn't it ridiculous when you look at things like the Merseyside police, you probably remember that poster they put up and they all stood in front of it with their cars going, you know, committing uh, or, or giving offence is, is, is the same as as, as, uh, as, may, as as committing an offence. And it's like, well, actually, it wasn't true. So they had to take it down, right? And then meanwhile, in London, we've got Sadiq Khan bomb, you know, bombing around in his uh, Range Rover, telling everybody to walk and cycle, uh, while people are getting stabbed two to the dozen every single week uh, in London. Oh yeah, we had North, we had North Yorkshire police. Um, I caught them the other week um, banging on about how wonderful the 2010 Equality, Diversion and Inclusion Act is. Mm. There is no such act. There is no such act. It's a lie. It's a fugazi. It does not exist. <laughs> it exists entirely in their imagination. But they want it. They want it to exist in their imagination because it suits them. Harry, listen, you, not only do I love having you on the show, we're in great support of your organisation, Fair Cop, but not only that, I think that could be the first time somebody's actually said Fulgazi on my show. So thank you very much indeed for that. We'll talk to you soon. Harry Miller, Fair Cop Group. What a great guy. He has to be supported. He wants to shut down this politically correct police operation that we have in this country. And I am full square behind him. I'm sure you will be as well. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.